We're in the book of Romans, and we're taking a few days in this month of August. We're talking about having a righteous testimony before an unsaved world and with one another. Our sermons whisper, but our life shouts. What you say doesn't matter as much as what you do. People don't really care how much you know till they know how much you care. These are a few quotes that come to mind. If people don't trust you, they don't trust what you say. It's important that we have a good testimony. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. One thing this dark world needs is a moonlight Christian. Somebody who doesn't have light of themselves, but reflects the light of the Lord Jesus Christ on a dark planet. That's what our moon does. Our moon is a rock. It doesn't have any ability to light anything. But it does reflect the sun across our galaxy onto the darkness on the, in, in our dark nights here. You know, that's what Christians ought to be. They ought to be a moonlight Christian. You ought to be reflecting the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in your daily walk. The book of Romans is a great book of the Bible. Someone called it the book that changed the world. And I'm glad we can have all 66 books of the Bible. But if you only could have one, you might have a hard time leaving Romans on the table. Because it tells us, number one, of our sin. Number two, of God's salvation, chapter 4 and 5. Number three, it tells us of the sanctification process that God is working in our life. We've got a flesh that's very strong. We have a law that, uh, that crushes us, but we have a Holy Spirit that enables us to live the Christian life. And then it talks about the sovereignty of God, specifically in the nation of Israel. In chapter 12 through 16, it speaks about our testimony of service. Chapters 12 through 16, and we're in that process right now. We talked about chapter 12, how that you and I ought to have, first of all, a testimony of appreciation. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the... Because God's been so good to us, we ought to serve God and have a testimony that we ought to be the most thankful people on the world. Don't complain. I got that problem. How many got a problem with complaining from time to time? All right. Everybody put your hand up again. I'm just joking. We all have that problem. Man, God's been so good to us. But if there's anybody that ought to praise the Lord publicly, it ought to be people who know Jesus. We have a testimony of appreciation, a testimony of dedication, sacrifice, a testimony of separation to God from the world, distinctively different in the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves. Uh, a testimony of distinction, a testimony of humility and cooperation with God's people. We went through chapters 12 and then 13. It tells us we ought to have a testimony of honoring our civic leaders. We ought to have a testimony of living honest in our living. Owe no man anything but to love one another, being honest, pay your bills. Talked about someone the other day, and they said, well, they owe someone money, and they didn't pay the money, but they found, but they look on Facebook, and you see them going here, and spending money here, and going here. When they owe someone else money, that's not honest. If you owe someone, you ought to take care of it. You ought to go to them and talk to them about it. You shouldn't be eating at the, at the old country buffet if you owe somebody money. <laughs> if you're behind on your deal, don't give it to, don't, don't steal. Don't give it to old country buffet at the expense of giving it to someone that you owe. There's just honest living. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to see holy living. He tells us, listen, don't be caught up in chambering and wantonness and, and the party spirit, but live holy life. Don't make provision for the flesh. 
He reminds us about that. And then chapter 14, it's a, book, it's a chapter that addresses the, the, the church at Rome. And there in that day, they had two problems, diets and days. And they had weak Christians and stronger Christians. They had Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And Paul is telling them, there is some, you're going to be in one church with God's people, but all of you are not going to think exactly the same. And though we get saved the same way, all by putting faith in Jesus Christ, we are all at different levels of growth. And he says, well, number one, you need to have a testimony of understanding your brothers and sisters. The moment you get saved, you become a child of God, which instantly makes you a brother, a sister of, of multitudes of people. And we have responsibilities. Number one, to understand them. Three things he tells us in chapter 14, just by way of review, that we need to understand about each other. Number one, we need to understand that God accepts us, and he accepts them. I'm one of six children in the Wilkerson family. I have three brothers. My name is John. I have a brother named Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm not joking. That's true. I have two sisters, Acts and Romans. I'm joking about that. Jan and Mary, their names. But you know, my mom and dad, they love all of us. Now, we haven't always made our, our parents proud of us. And sometimes we haven't been good kids for God, but we've always been their kids. And my parents loved all of us, and we're all accepted. We're all accepted. You know, the truth of the matter is, when you have a child, a brother or sister in Christ, they're accepted. It's not like, well, I'm accepted and you're not. No, he said, I, I want you to receive them because God has received us. So, we, number one, we know that God is accepted. Number two, we understand that they're accountable to their own heavenly father. We understand this about one another. Number one, we're accepted of God, and so are my brothers and sisters who are saved. Number two, we're directly accountable to God. You're not accountable to me, per se. I'm not accountable to you. We are in some ways, but our first accountability is to the Lord. And that's why we can't fix each other's wagons. You know, we can have, we can have people, you, when you're growing up, you have tattletales in the family. <laughs> but, you know, they can, they can say, hey, Dad, Mom, you know about this? And you don't have to say it to God because he already knows everything, right? But the truth of the matter is, one thing that aggravates parents is when kids try to discipline their brothers and sisters. All right, I'm going to give you a spanking. No, you're not. <laughs> well, it's not their job to discipline each other. It's their parents' job to do that. And once in a while, we, we have that promise. So they say, why you hit him? Why'd you hit him? Well, because he did wrong. You know, I don't know. So you hit him. Well, he said this to you. Well, what are you supposed to do? He gets away with everything. Talk to me. <laughs> He's not accountable to you. He's accountable to dad. He's accountable to mom. And the thing that God wants to learn about each other, number one, we're all accepted by God. Number two, we're accountable to God. Number three, we're assisted by God. He's the one who helps us stand. The next thing we understand in chapter 14, I'm just kind of giving a review, is that we have personal responsibility. Paul is going to tell the church of Rome, you got some responsibilities. Our first responsibility is to the Lord. The Bible says no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. Where he liveth for or die, he is the Lord's. The Bible says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. He says, so then all of us shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
So the, the, the thought in chapter 14 is that we have individual accountability. You're responsible to you and I'm responsible for me and we're all responsible first to God. So we have accountability to God. This is an important concept because to his own master, let him stand or fall. You can say, well, I don't care about anybody. Well, you might want to care about God. There's two days you ought to concern yourself, today and that day when you stand before God. That'll ring your bell every day of your life. What will be best when I stand before Jesus? I remember when our son died 12 years ago, Dr. David Gibbs, when he came to the service and he stepped from his seat and he went to the pulpit, he said, in just a few days, we'll all be where Tyler is now. And boy, that hit me like a ton of bricks. In just a few days, we'll all be where he is now. And his body was in a casket in front of that church. But you know, the truth of the matter is, that's a, that's a serious thing. You ought to think about your accountability to God. You think about that where you go, what you do, what you spend your time doing, how you give, how you serve, how you forgive. Why? Because in just a few days, you're going to look in the eyes of Jesus. He's going to look into your eyes and you'll give an account, not for my life, not for the person sitting beside you, but for you. So we're accountable. It's a personal responsibility, first of all, to God. Number two, to yourself. You must be true to yourself. And the Bible keeps saying, he says, for no man liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. But you are responsible for yourself. You're responsible for your own conscience. My, my stepfather used to say to my mom before he went home to be with the Lord, he says, John, pray for me. Your mother's conscience is bothering me. Well, I look cross-eyed and say, what in the world are you talking about? He was just joking. But you know the truth of the matter is? Your conscience is yours to protect. you got three things you got to do for you. Number one, you got to walk with God for yourself. Your wife can't do it for you. Your husband can't do it. Your kids can't do it for you. Your pastor can't walk with God for you, and you can't walk with God for me. That's my job. Number two, I'm responsible to walk with God for myself. Number two, I'm responsible to play my family role for myself. If you're a wife, it's your job to be a good wife. No one else can be a good wife for your husband. If you're a husband, you need to be a good husband for your wife. It's your job. If you're a son, you ought to be a good son. If you're a brother, be a brother. Your family role. You say, well, pastor, you've got, you're, you've got, your mom has six of you kids, but I'm the oldest. I, I do something. I can serve a, a capacity for my mom that none of my other siblings are supposed to do. It's my job. And you have a role in your family. No one else, if you don't, if you don't, if, if you don't uh, do that, no one else is alive that's supposed to mop up your mess. You walk with God for yourself. You be your family role for yourself. And then number three, you have to be pure for yourself. You can't, if, if, if you want to watch pornography, no one else can be pure for you. You got to decide, I'm not going to do that. If you want to text someone that's not your husband, your wife, and nasty stuff, that's, that's on you, Spanky. Nobody else can deal with that. That's your job to be pure. What you look at, what you hear, that's your job. I can't be pure for you. You can't be pure for me. So we have responsibility first to God, then to ourselves, then to others. Other people say, well, whatever I do, it only affects me. That's not true. What you do affects the people that sit around you in this church. If you're an idiot out there in the world, it affects the testimony of church. If you do things hard-headed and, and self-willed and, and practice idolatry by being stubborn and rebellious, you're hurting your family. You're hurting other people around you. 
No man's an island. He doesn't just do what he wants to do, and no one else is hurt by that. So we have a testimony of personal responsibility to God, to myself, to others, and also for the gospel. Would you look real quickly at this passage of Scripture? We're looking in chapter 14, doing a little review, but then coming back to what we're talking about today. Look at verse number 9. Would you look at 14, verse 9? Read, if you would, the first four words with me. Are you ready? Everyone, for to this... What do you think that means? Someone raise your hand and tell me. For to this end. Give me a... Give me a what do you think that means? You got it. I heard it. This is the conclusion. This is the purpose. Okay, what is the purpose? Keep reading in verse number 9. Let's read out loud together. Can we please? For to this end, Christ both, and, and, and he might be the Lord both of the... Hey, how many people are going to bow the knee, the Bible tells us? You know why they're going to bow the knee? Because Jesus is the Lord that came that lived a perfect life. He died a, a cruel death. He rose again, and he's alive forevermore. You know what that is? That's the gospel. See, Pastor, how I live is up to me. No, how you live affects how people view the gospel. Well, I think at work, I'm one person at church, I'm another person. That's bad news. The Bible tells us that wives are just supposed to love their husbands and love their kids. And if they don't, they give reason for the enemies of God to blaspheme. You see, how you're a, your, your family role gives reason for people to reject the gospel? Yes, sirree. How you submit to your boss at work. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1, he tells us, listen, if you've got to work for an unsaved person, uh, you better elevate your behavior. Why? Because God's going to visit them with the gospel, and when they, get, when they come with the gospel, they're going to think good or bad about you. And they'll have an opinion of God based upon your work ethic. Were you on time? Did you cheat the company? Were you a complainer about your wages, or did you go to work and work hard and do what you're supposed to do? These are things that are very clear in the Scriptures. Say, why do I do all that? Well, now you do that to earn a living and to get a paycheck. But you know why else you do that? It's so that the gospel of Christ will be attractive to an unsaved world when they need the gospel. So I've got responsibility to God, to myself, to you, and also for the gospel's sake to an unsaved world. We're looking at verse number, chapter 14. Let's go, if we can, please, to the verse we picked up reading. Verse number 14. The Bible says, I know that I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad when he says something he knows Jesus told him? That there is nothing unclean in itself. And of course, they were arguing a little bit about whether you can eat a ham sandwich or not. Aren't you glad you can eat a ham sandwich, Dick Kennedy? Looks like you've eaten several of them. I've got to commend the guy. He's lost 30 pounds in the last month or so. But he says, uh, him that esteemeth anything to him is unclean, and to him, and to him it is unclean. So he said, look, I'm persuaded, the Lord's told me that the dietary laws that were in the Old Testament are not Bible truth for today. Now, there is wisdom in nutrition. I think it's very important. I think there's, there's some things we ought to learn about that as, as Christians, because you only got one body, and you don't get another one when you turn 50. And oftentimes we, we, we abuse our bodies with, with lack of rest, lack of exercise, and bad nutrition. 
And then we complain and go to doctors for the rest of our, our, our 60 to 80 years and just complain about how many doctor appointments I have. And a lot of times because we do not eat right. But it's not a biblical thing. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. And uh, it was a dietary law set up in the Old Testament. But God says when Jesus died on the cross, those ordinances which were against us, he abolished those. He said, what we do need to do, he says in Acts chapter 15, when the Jerusalem council came together, he said, listen, there's just three things you got to make sure that the Gentiles understand who are not Jewish. You don't have to eat kosher, but you do need to do this. You don't need to drink blood. You don't need to eat food offered to idols. And you do not need to be a fornicator. Don't do that. He said, those three things are sufficient. Now go out there and serve the Lord and love him. And that's, the, that's kind of, he gave it, gave it down to them in that way. But he says, I'm telling you about these things. He said, really, nothing is unclean of itself. And that's what the Bible said. He said, you have Jesus' word on it. Look at verse 15, if you would please. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, if there's a, if there's a standard or something you have that, that walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. He says, the, the, the key word there is the word charitably. There's, we have strong opinions about lots of things. How many of you have some strong opinions about various things? What do say all of us do? Some people will say, you know, I'm very strong about this, or I'm, I don't really care about that, or this doesn't matter to me, but my friend, it really matters to them. He said, listen, when it comes to that, the biggest thing you want to know about is love each other. And he gives us a stop principle I gave you last week. Whenever you figure out, should I do something or not do something, even if it doesn't offend me, I don't feel like I have liberty to do that, that's fine. Should I ask myself this question, stop, S, is this a stumbling block? If I do this, go there, say this, wear this, go this place, is it going to hurt another brother or sister? Number two, will it hurt the testimony of Christ, each other? Will it hurt the testimony of my family, my husband, my wife, my children, my dad or my mom? If it's going to hurt the testimony, then don't do it. If it hurts the testimony of the Lord, don't do it. Then he says, is it something that I can just love others enough to do what they need to do if, if need be? He says, he tells us later on, if, if meat hurts my brother that bad, I don't have to eat meat the rest of my life. If it's that big of an offense. And of course, he's using that as an illustration of that day and time. And then we have to be fully persuaded in our own mind. Look at the next thing, but charitably is a good verse. Let's look at this next one. Here's where I want to land this morning. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. He said, if you've got liberty to do something, don't use it as a, uh, uh, use it as a, as a bully pulpit or to hurt somebody. Now I want you to look at verse 17. Let's read it out loud together. Can we please? For the kingdom of God is not... For he that in these things, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost, serveth Christ, is acceptable of God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after these things which make for peace, and things wherewith we may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All these things indeed are pure, but if evil, for that man who eateth with offense. I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning. We're going to not be long, but I want to just talk to you a little bit about that verse, that verse where it says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. One of the things I love about being an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Baptist church 
is I believe that through the doctrines of God, Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine, God teaches me to live an elevated life in this world. There are things that I do. I don't do them because someone gave me a rule one day. I do them because I, I've learned to love the Lord. And I don't just want to appease God. I want to please Him. I think that's something I have to ask myself. Lord, am I doing this just so you don't get upset with me? Or am I doing this because I really love you? I think some things you do out of duty. Brother Hiles preached a great message years ago on duty. But in my opinion, duty is one of the sorriest reasons to do something. It's something, if duty brings you to church, let love keep you here. The highest reason to serve Christ is because you love me. If you love me, what will you do? Keep my commandments. I appreciate people in my life who have pressured me or pushed me or provoked me to do the right thing. I'm thankful. I wrote down this morning, my wife and I sat down and we decided what we owed the Lord in our tithes and what we wanted to give God in our offerings, what we wanted to give to missions, what we wanted to give to the, the, the foundation, or excuse me, the, uh, the, uh, the trust fund. And we put them all in here. But the truth of the matter is, I remember, I remember learning about that. I was instructed by, and I was inspired, even as an eight-year-old boy, I remember seeing the men in our church walking around with an offering envelope in their pocket. Now, I was, I was making the big bucks mowing lawn and had every bit of 25 cents probably for a tithe. But I wanted to get an envelope, and I put it in my pocket. I'd have to fold it three times to get it to fit in my little pocket. But, you know, I was inspired by, by watching other people do the right thing. It helped me to do that. It killed me. One day I saw a man who, taught, who gave modeled this, but then he, he was doing something wrong. Remember how much it hurt me. Someone who taught me to do right, and now he's doing something different. The day I was thinking about someone who taught biblical principles, and now I saw them on Facebook, just a little picture of them, and where they are and what they're doing. Is, it must be so disheartening to the people they used to teach. They're a stumbling block now where they were a stepping stone, a help. We ought to be very careful in those things. But I was encouraged by what I saw and what I saw people do. And I'm thankful for those who taught me to live carefully and to live holy, to abstain from seeing some things and hearing some things and, and going places and hanging around the wrong kind of people. I think all that is biblical. If you're, a, if you're a parent worth your weight in salt, you're concerned about who your kids hang around. And God's concerned about you. <laughs> You're concerned. You don't let your kids watch everything on television. If you do, you're an idiot. God doesn't want his kids watching everything on television either. He loves us. You don't do that because you don't let your kids play out in the middle of... We, have, we live on Glendale Park in Holman. I don't let my kids run around and play football in the middle of Holman. There'll be a greasy spot if they do that. And so if they, if they get out there, I'm going to tell them, get off there. And if you get out there again, I'm going to bust your bottom. So you're not a rock star, but you'll be the king of pop. Pew! You know? Light them up. Not because I hate them, but because I love them. You know, God's chastening. He does it for his own kids. He loves us, and he, he has... But he said, you know, but the kingdom of God is not a list of rules. It's summed up in three words. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There are some people that you wouldn't go there, you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't wear that, but you're as far away from righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Peace is not what you're known for. 
You're not a peaceful grandma. You're not a peaceful grandfather. You're not a peaceful brother, sister. Unsaved world, don't see in us peace and joy and righteousness. But the Bible says whenever we have this three trio here, when we do the right thing, and by the way, righteousness is all throughout your Bible. The Bible, the, the verse that we kind of use this year, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his. Why do we go soul winning? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that wins souls is wise. One of the reasons we tell people about Christ is because that's the righteous thing to do. You know why it's righteous? Because God said to do it. The Bible is, is centered around righteousness. He said that all scriptures give inspiration and is profitable for four things. For doctrine, what's right? You know how I know what's right? I got a Bible. Don't judge me, Pastor. Don't tell me I'm wrong. No, I, look, I'm not judging you, I can, but I can read the law. The judge that gets up on the court, he can say, you know what? You're guilty. You know why he says he's guilty? Because he looks at the law and looks what we did. That God gave us the Word of God so we know what's right. For reproof, that's what's not right. For correction, that's how to get right. And for instruction in how to stay right. You know what God, he, say, Pastor, how can I live righteously? You find out what God's word says and you do it. You don't do what's easy. You don't do what's pragmatic, what's logical. If you always have to be logical, well, it has to make sense to me, you'll be a lousy Christian. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that you can do more off 90% of your income than you can off 100% of a child of God. But if you try it, you'll see it's a good thing to do. It doesn't make sense how that you can learn to give beyond that to missions and to world evangelism, and God can give you more to give. But you try it, you'll find out it's right. Christians ought to have the testimony of three things. They do things right. And nothing's ever settled right till it's settled right with God. They're right. They do the right thing. We know what your neighbor needs to know about you. They'll do the right thing. I may not agree with them, but they'll do the right thing. They're raising their kids right. They pay their bills. They mow their lawn. They take care of their family. These people do things right. That's what the, that's what the world ought to be able to see in me. I do the right thing. Number two, they ought to see that I'm, I'm at peace. At peace with God. Peace with myself. So many people are so insecure. You're not happy with how God made you. You spend all your time complaining and getting on Facebook and telling the world how bad it is to be you. Knock it off. Go to prayer and get to the Word of God and let God give you peace. You can have peace as a single mom, as a single dad, as a single adult. Or you can spend your life wanting to do something else and find yourself. You know the guy that girls go to the doctor, I've just hurting all over the doctor. My head hurts, oh, my shoulder, ah, my knee, ah, my stomach, oh, am I going to die? No, but your finger's infected. <laughs> you know, people, they, they think, oh, the problem's at the family reunion. My family stinks. The nursery workers, they stink. The school system, it's terrible. Everywhere they go, I don't like the coach. Oh, my Sunday school class. Well, this is ridiculous. I hate living in Indiana. You know, and the truth matters, wherever you go, you have to take you, Spanky. <laughs> You'll hate living in Alaska, too. You'll hate living in Florida, because wherever you go, you've got to take you. You know what? We're not at peace. 
doesn't mean you have to be totally just a blob, just satisfied with everything. But you've got to be comfortable. And I can't give that to you, and you can't give it to me. That comes from the Lord. Be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God, which past of all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind to Christ Jesus. When this world looks at you and they look at me, they ought to see, you know what, they do the right thing. I may not agree with them, but I have to respect them. They'll do the right thing. Number two, they're at peace. Number three, they have joy. Joy of the Holy Ghost. I think it's important to be a separated Christian. I think it's more important to be a spirit-filled Christian. If you're spirit-filled, you'll be separated. We've got to spend more time growing grass and trying to kill weeds. So many people are like, yes, yes, don't do this, don't do that. You know what you do? If you, if you follow the Lord, all that stuff just works out. We spend all this time banging away at this. And to, to, you know, to every hammer, you know, everything's a nail. We're banging away at that. But we ought to spend more time growing grass of peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Ghost. And you know what the Bible says? In doing this, it's acceptable to God and it's approved of man. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with them. What's your testimony like this morning? Would the people that know you at work say, ah, righteousness, yeah. Peace, oh yeah. Joy in the Holy Ghost, oh yeah. Would your kids say that about you, Dad? Would your wife say that about you, sir? Would your brothers and sisters say, oh yeah, righteousness, peace, that describes, that describes my dad. That's, that's the guy that works with me, that guy from First Baptist. Yeah, righteousness, peace, joy. Yeah, that's him. Or would they say, are you kidding me? That is nothing like them. If it's nothing like that, all of us need to get a check up from the neck up and say, Lord, please help me. Get my head screwed on right, my heart right with you. Be filled with the Holy Ghost so I can have his joy, his peace, and his righteousness.